Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Work. The tabernacle is essentially the, the physical representation of the process of entering into the presence of God. And God gave very specific instructions for how this would happen. And that's because it, on, on, in this kind of thing, he's not just going to let people make it up. So he's not just going to let you enter into his presence in the, on your terms, in the way that you and I think makes sense. He has a, a set protocol for entering into his presence. And the, and, and the, the protocol is in is in the tabernacle. You can see it. It is, uh, number one, it's prophetic of Jesus who is coming. Jesus fulfilled the tabernacle. So when you see the tabernacle, you see Jesus. And that's our goal is to know Jesus better. But also, it is, just like Jesus is, a shadow of things which are in heaven. So there are things which are in heaven. There's a, there's a, there's a system in heaven. There, there's, there, there's a heavenly place. Um, uh, the Apostle Paul called it the third heaven. This is where God dwells. Uh, if you want to talk about the several heavens, we can get into that. But, but the third heaven, maybe, maybe in the future, this is where God dwells, which, by the way, happens to be above the second heaven <laughs> because he is above all things. He is higher than the heavens is what Colossians says. He's raised higher than the heavens. And so God dwells in the third heaven, and, 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 and it's an actual place. It's not a physical place. It's a spiritual dimension where God dwells. And, and he wanted on the earth a physical representation of that spiritual dimension. So we've been talking about that because it's, it's, it's very important if you want to understand the gospel, if you want to understand Jesus and all that he did and all that he is, you must look at the tabernacle. So do we have that, that slide to, to stick up there? Yeah, 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 that one. Yeah, so this gives you kind of a, a, a little drawing of the tabernacle. You see the outer court all, all along the outside there. Those are the, the pipe and drapes. Those are the curtains that, that, that defined the outside of what was known as the tabernacle. All of this is open to the sky. So if you're looking down, the entire outer court is open to the sky. This part here would have been covered, though, with, with various skins. We're going to get into that um, probably in three weeks. Um, but so far... <laughs> We've just been here at the door, right? There's one door right here, and his name is Jesus, all right? So Jesus is the door. He's the entrance into relationship with God. He's the start. That's where you start, and we talked about that. And so you come in through the door, and the first thing you see here is an altar known as the brazen altar or the altar of burnt offering. And I started talking about that last week. I'm going to finish talking about that this week. And then next week, we're going to move on to the, the bronze laver. So this is a, a big bowl of, of water that, that priests would cleanse themselves ritually cleanse themselves in before entering this is called the holy place so the, the, the this big this is one large tent and this is called the holy place and within this tent there's a veil and there's another room in it called the holy of holies and this is the manifest presence of God this is where this is ultimately where we want to go um, but this is the process though this is the flow you have to understand there's a particular flow to uh, worship. There's a particular flow to intimacy with God that you don't you don't you don't helicopter into the holy of holies. That's not how that works. You come in through the door, which is not a door on hinges. Rather, it's a drape, which means you let it drape over you. So Jesus has to drape over you, and you 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 come under Jesus, and then you the first thing you see is this altar right here. The very first thing you see, and we talked about this last week. The altar is the place of death. The altar is the place of sacrifice. 
And so I want to talk to you today about the, that, that, that in order to enter into the presence of God, there must be sacrifice. In fact, salvation, it requires sacrifice. Forgiveness of sins requires sacrifice. There must be sacrifice. Entering into the presence of God, nobody was allowed to come in empty-handed. Because you can't skip this. You can't just walk in. And that's why God had them put this right at the very front of the door. And it was about, it was about seven and a half feet wide. And that was square by about four and a half feet tall. And it was on a mound. So this is massive. You come in and it's, and it's, and it's about the top of it is about at the top of, of, of your head. And this is a very large um, bronze or copper altar. It's made from wood, covered with copper. And, and it's, it's imposing and it's there, and you can't miss it, because God doesn't want you to skip it, because every time you come before him, you must bring some sacrifice. That's why David said, I bring a sacrifice of praise, so when I come into his presence, I'm ready to lay something down for him, and we give sacrifices financially. We give sacrifices physically by cutting out our time. We give, we give sacrifices in many ways, but that's, but that's part of the protocol of entering into God's presence. And in this case, actual sacrifice in this case was death to where they would bring a lamb or a goat or turtle doves, depending on your income status, you would bring, and depending on the offering that you're offering. We talked about the five offerings last week. You would bring one of these to the altar and you would leave it there. And there, that, is, that is such a key to worship. What are you bringing to the altar, and then what are you leaving there? It's such a key to worship. Sacrifice is essential for intimacy with God. Sacrifice is essential to fellowship with God. And I'm not saying that because you earn it. You don't, you don't earn fellowship with God. But Paul said, Mike, the goal of my life is that I might know him. That I might know him. Great. How do I know him? Well, you obviously you go to a Hillsong concert. You oh no no you go you you go to YouTube and you watch a lot of teaching on him. You no yeah you don't go into any of those places. If you want to know him, you go to the altar. He said, my goal of my life is that in Philippians four I, that I might know him, and he said, this is how I will know him: the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of every friend of God has been asked to suffer because suffering and sacrifice is essential to intimacy with God. Abraham, Abraham, God called Abraham a friend and, and, and Abraham was God's friend. And you would think in our culture that if, you're fr- if, if, if he's your friend, that you're going to try to shelter him from certain things. But in God's mind, if you are his friend, then he wants you to know him. And you cannot know him by just simply reading about him. You cannot know him by singing about him. You must know him by experiencing what he has experienced. And so Abraham, so Abraham is talking to God and God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to take your one and only son, he says, and take him up onto a mountain, take a knife, and, and kill your son for me. Now, this is weird because God doesn't, God doesn't teach human sacrifice. He's actually against it. He prohibits it. But in this one instance, he asked Abraham to do it. Now, why would God ask him to do something that God has already said that he's against and that he hates human sacrifice? Well, because he wants friendship with Abraham. And so if Abraham is going to be God's friend, he's going to have to know what it feels like to take the knife and raise it over his one and only son. 
Now, when he raises the knife, an angel comes and stops him and says, Abraham, Abraham, don't do it. For now I know that you, that you love God above all. And, and so he stops him, and there's a substitute in the thicket, and God provides a way for, for him to not have to kill his son. But what is he doing? He's setting up the, 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 the protocol for intimacy, that if you want intimacy with God, God's going to ask you to do what God himself has already done. He took his son up onto a mountain, and he executed his son for the sins of humanity. And so, and so there's, there's this intimacy that comes in. And God says, if you're going to get to know me, it's lovely to come over here where the glory is, but before you get to the glory, you have to get to the guts and the gore of it. Because the glory didn't come cheap. It didn't, it didn't arrive just, just, just by itself. God doesn't forgive sin just because he feels like it. He doesn't sanctify us and cleanse us just because he's having a good day. It's not an emotional thing. It's, it's not a cheap thing. It's not as easy as that. The, the glory that descended in the cloud and hung over the people of Israel while they're in the desert was costly. And God said, I want you to know the cost. And so what, so, so what would he do? Well, he would ask, for instance, uh, I was talking about offerings last week, and I said I, I, I'd get to the fifth one. The fifth one was a sin offering. So the sin offering was the offering that you would present to God for your sin because sin must be dealt with before entering into the presence of God. And so people would bring a sin offering. If you were a leader or a priest or if, the, if you were uh, presenting an offering for the entire assembly of the Israelites, there was one standard. Uh, if you were more of a common person and you were presenting an offering for yourself, there was another standard. On the, uh, on the one hand, you offer a bull. On the other hand, you offer a lamb. The common person's uh, sacrifice was a lamb. And John looked at Jesus and he said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the common people. Of course, he died for common people and rich people. He, he died for leaders and followers. He died for religious and non-religious. So really, both the bull, I think, and the lamb are representations of Jesus. But, 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 but God said, I want you to bring that lamb, and I want you to bring it into this door right here, and then come to the altar. And so when you walk in, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna immediately see blood everywhere. It's just blood everywhere. Because to, to kill this animal, you, you, you didn't electric shock it. You had to cut its throat. Now, they did it in the most humane way possible. They, they, uh, they, they squeezed the, 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 the veins on the, on the sheep's neck to make it pass out. And then they would cut its throat so it didn't feel any pain. But the blood was important. And you would take the blood and the, the priest would, would put the blood on the, on the horns of the altar. Because that was, they were pointing in every which direction, all four corners of the earth. The mercy of God is extending throughout the entire earth. And so he would put the blood on the four corners of the altar. But it was important, the priest didn't kill the lamb. The man who brought the lamb did. Because it was his lamb. Because he had raised it since birth. Because his kids had probably named it. Because they had probably, we, we had two goats one time, and uh, uh, we had uh, Madden and Micah and Roe, not me, were, like, we got them when they were just kids, like, just, just little. And so they were, they, were, they were feeding them, like, the bottle of milk with a little fake nipple on the end, you know, just to try to get them to drink. And you get attached, and you get connected. And God said, I want you, I want you to take the knife. Because you must, you must understand how much your sin costs. If you don't understand the price of freedom, you'll never appreciate the freedom you have. 
Well, that's a, that's a message for 2020 right there. People who've never fought, people who have never fought for anything really don't value anything. They're critical and fault-finding, and they'll look at all of the things that aren't quite right. And for all the stuff that's not quite right about America, I'd rather live here than the place south of the border or north of the border. And really across the pond on that side or definitely across the pond on the left. I mean, for everything that's kind of off, I'm thankful for people like MLK. I'm thankful for people who sacrificed and at least got us to the place that we were at. And the generation that doesn't understand what it costs to get them there will squander it, number one, because they desire something else because they were born into such luxury. They think it comes easy, but it doesn't. It doesn't, man. The, the, the Alamo didn't come easy. The Civil War didn't come easy. Vietnam was not easy. These things that, are, that, that our country was built on that protected us and defined us and galvanized us and changed us and grew us. These were not easy in the progress we have made. You can't appreciate it if you've, if you've never had to fight for it. And it's so important that you understand the cost of your sin. It's so important that you understand this is not a flippant thing to God. This is not little. This is not, this is not, this is not just something that, oh, yeah, well, the, 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 the bigger deal is getting you in here, but we'll just quickly deal with this. No, this process actually took much longer. The time spent at the altar was far greater than the time spent in the holy place. Why? Because it takes a long time to kill something you love. It takes a while to grab the knife and to, to deal with, with death. And God is patient. And God says, just take as long as you need. He didn't have a timer. Worship didn't start at 9 and end at 10.30. He didn't have a timer. He didn't, he didn't, but he also didn't have any preaching. So I should just say that. That's one of the reasons why we go long is because of the preaching. But he didn't, he didn't have any preaching either because it's all about your offering. It doesn't matter if you can sing. It doesn't matter if you know how to say amen when the preacher's preaching or clap when you're supposed to. What matters is what have you brought to lay down to God because this is what is worship. This is what worship is. Worship is, is laying something down at his feet, something costly to you, something that is valuable to you, something that you love, something that, 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 that shows the great value that you place on your Father in heaven. And not only is, is, is he laying down his, his own animals, but this is also uh, indicative of what, Christ, of what Christ would do. If we can go to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect i have another slide of a drawing really of the altar of sacrifice uh, with the lamb on it and so certainly this is applicable to our sacrifice but honestly our sacrifice could never atone for sin our sacrifice could never make up for sin in our life which is why God said, I want you to bring a lamb because that lamb is going to be a type and a shadow of the lamb of God who would atone for the sins of the world. And so he said, I want you to bring that lamb. I want you to cut its throat. And when you cut its throat and when you take some of the blood, what would happen is you would then put it on this, this altar. And this is the altar. There was a grate there and fire was kindled underneath it. And also underneath the grate was a pan. So the, so the, so the sacrifice is, is tied oftentimes on the altar 
and it's, and it's consumed, it's burned. But there's a pan underneath because God wanted to catch the blood that was, that was dropping from the sacrifice. Because, because the life of the body is in the blood. Because the, the salvation, the atonement was in the blood. Because the blood was important. Without the shedding of blood, Scripture says, there is no remission of sin. This is why Jesus came and was sacrificed on our behalf. This is why Jesus came and was brutally murdered on our behalf. This is why he was, in, 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 in another passage, it says, says you have to slaughter the lamb. And he, and he was slaughtered. He was ridiculed. He was beaten. With a, and he, was, he was whipped with a cat of nine tails, which is, which is the, uh, the whip, the leather whip with nine different ends on it that had types of glass and uh, I guess what would be equivalent to nails nowadays, sharp, sharp bits of metal. And, and bones for bruising, and, and he was tied to a post, and he was whipped 39 times with that. And the Bible says that with every stripe that was on his back, it was for our healing. So with every stripe, what it would do is it would just it would latch into your skin and then rip it off. And that was very painful at first, but it would get even more painful because after all the skin was gone, now it starts latching into tendons and arteries and muscle tissue and it's ripping the muscle tissue away and the purpose of that is because across the back of your shoulders are the muscles that that allow your arms to work and he's about to go to crucifixion where the only thing that he could pull himself up with would be his arms and so they would they would whip them this way and that way in an x pattern in order to tear the tissue of the muscle in the shoulders so that you you couldn't lift yourself up so that you would slip down and sink down and you would end up suffocating because your lungs would be compressed against each other. Because you couldn't hold yourself up. I'm, I'm telling you that because the lamb, because your sin was costly. And my sin was costly. And for the Father to forgive us our sin, it was not simply because he wanted to, even though he did. It was because there was a sacrifice for our sin. And that lamb was, was strapped to the altar and the blood would drip down. That's that old hymn. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus, not of works that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other fountain i know 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And this is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. One more time. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It was the blood that set me free. It was the blood that pardoned my past and dealt with all my pride. It was the blood that dealt with every sin and every addiction. It is the power of the blood that breaks every chain. It is the blood that speaks a better word for us. It is the blood that rebukes demons. It is the blood that stands in our, in our, in our, it covers us. It is the blood that removes every, I don't care where you came from. Once you cross the bloodline, who you are is different. You have stepped into a new family that is covered by the blood of the Lamb. How can you just sit there and just give God half a praise when it cost him the very blood of his son? He made you alive. You were dead. He didn't make you better. He didn't just, he didn't just help you. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, and God made us alive in Christ Jesus. It was his blood. We're talking death to life. He resurrected something by the blood of the Lamb. We want to offer you praise as if you've just simply done us a favor. We want to offer you praise as if you've just simply helped us. But you laid down your life for your sheep. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Not just ready to, but he actually did it. The Father sacrificed his only begotten son. Hmm. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge, that's me, beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunged beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. Thank you, Lord. Mm. The sin offering was slaughtered. He was killed. He was innocent, but he was killed. Maybe once you realize that, you'll stop asking God to be fair. 
Jesus. Jesus told a story about God, and he said he's like a judge who's not quite fair. Yeah. <laughs> it's called, if you read in your heading of the, King James, of the New King James, it says the unjust judge. Yeah. That's God. Yeah. That's the story of the unjust judge. Why is he unjust? Because he forgives far more than he should. He releases guilty people. He releases guilt. If you understood who your father was, you stopped trying to perform for him. If you realized what he already had done for you, you'd stop trying to think you could earn something. He releases guilty people. He releases guilty people. He, he pardons, cleanses, and redeems. Not because of animals, but because of his very own life. Hmm. But after that, the blood had to be, especially for the leaders and for the, if you're, if you're, if you're sacrificing for the entire congregation, you had to do something else with the blood. You had to take the blood from the place of sacrifice. We can put that other slide up that shows the whole outline. You had to take the blood from the place of sacrifice right here all the way into the holy place. You had to take the blood from the bull, the place of sacrifice, and the priest had to come wash himself, and he had to come take it into the veil, into the holy place. And this is where it gets very interesting because Jesus died, yes, for the common person, but he also died for all humanity, for the whole congregation. He laid down his life for the whole congregation. And there's an interesting passage in Hebrews chapter 9, if we can put that up there, it says, but when Christ came, as the high priest. So Christ, it's interesting. Christ is both the lamb and the high priest. Because if anybody else were to offer him, if any other, if any, if any other uh, high priest were to offer him, the high priest had to first offer sin for himself. But Jesus is different because he hadn't sinned, so he didn't have to offer any sacrifice for himself. That's why he's the only worthy high priest. There's no other popes or bishops or priests. There's one priest. There's one father. And his name is Jesus. And so he is, he is the only priest that we need because he's the only one who can offer simply himself. So he, he carried himself into the veil. It says right here in Hebrews uh, chapter 9, it says, But when Christ came, he was the high priest of good things that are now already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Get that. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not a part of this creation. What tabernacle is that? That's the tabernacle in the heavenlies. That's the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That's the real tabernacle that God was creating this tabernacle to look like. This was a shadow. That was the real. So he says he did not enter that tabernacle by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place. That's, that's, the, that's the spot that we just showed. He entered the most holy place for all the entire congregation, Hebrews and non-Hebrews alike, Jews and Gentiles, that's us, for all people who have stolen, people who are sexually immoral, people who, who are liars. He entered all gossipers. He entered all. <laughs> for all. I'm just, that, that, that's the religious one. I'm just, just throwing it out there. He, <laughs> he entered once for all by his own blood. So he carried his own blood. So he's the priest. The priest would dip his hands in the blood. He'd get it on his hands. Jesus brought blood on his hands. 
the holes in his hands. He brought the blood on his hands. He brought it into the tabernacle. The priest dipped in blood. Jesus dipped in his own blood, walks into the holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean. What, what do they do? Well, they sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. They can make you look good. They can make you act right. But verse 14 says, how much more then will the blood of Christ? What, more than make me act right? Yes, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, what, what his blood will do is cleanse our consciences. He will cleanse our inside from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. I believe, and this is just a, this is just a theory, but I believe this helps explain the weird passage in the Easter story. And maybe you've never noticed it. Maybe it was never weird to you, but it was always weird to me. There's a part of the Easter story where, 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 where Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalene, and they, they go to the tomb early on Sunday morning. If you've ever been to church on Easter, you've heard this. So the, the, the two ladies go to the tomb early on Sunday morning to anoint Jesus' body for burial. They get there, and, and the, the tomb is open. And they're like, well, that's weird. And the guards are gone. And they're, they're blown away by that, so they go into the tomb. By the way, women were the first ones to notice that Jesus was gone. Come on, somebody. The guys didn't even notice. He, he rose from the dead, and uh, we were still oblivious. You know what I'm saying? The ladies were the first one to pick up on it. I'm just, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. And so these, these, these ladies go. They find the fact. They go inside the tomb. He's not there. And, and, and Mary begins weeping. Mary Magdalene begins weeping because, because, because somebody stole the body. The women didn't have, they had the same level of faith the guys had, though. They were a little more sensitive, but they came to the same conclusion. He couldn't have risen from the dead. Somebody stole the body. She's weeping, and she hears somebody uh, in, in, in this garden area, and she sees this man. She believes it's a gardener, which is interesting. The first Adam was a gardener. Just throwing that out there. And so the second Adam is standing before her. She doesn't recognize him. And he says, why are you crying? And she says, well, because they've taken my Lord, the body of my Lord. And I don't know what they've done with him. And then Jesus called her name. He said, Mary. And when he called her name, she recognized him. When he called her name, she said, wait a minute. I know that voice. I know that person. And she, and she, and she saw him, and it hit her that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And she was so thrilled that she went to hug his feet. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus backed up and said, don't touch me. I always thought that was weird. He said, don't touch me. He said, because I haven't ascended to my father yet. I thought that was weird. Like, don't touch you. But like in, in, in like a few verses, Jesus is going to appear to the 12 disciples. And doubting Thomas is going to be there. Doubting as we call him. But Thomas was there. And Jesus is going to tell Thomas, touch me. Touch my hands. Touch this hand. Touch my side. Feel that I am a real, I'm not a spirit. I'm a real person. Now what, what is going on? If he says to Mary, don't touch me. And then he tells Thomas to touch him just a few verses later. This is just a theory of mine. I don't know. Scripture isn't real clear except what Jesus said. He said, I haven't ascended to my father. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus took his own blood into the heavenly tabernacle and placed his own blood on the altar within the heavenly tabernacle. 
And I, it's, just, it's just my theory that when Jesus rose from the dead, the work of salvation wasn't quite complete until the priest had carried the blood of the, of the sacrifice into the actual holy place. And when the actual blood of Jesus was placed, because here's the deal, Jesus was crucified 2,000 years ago. And so if we're relying on his blood, it fell into the ground, dried up, and it's now been eaten by animals and pooped out several times. And it's been, it's been disintegrated. It's gone. But he had to go into a place that was eternal and place his blood in a place that is eternal so that it can be applied to our lives today. Otherwise, we could not be partakers of the covenant, only people that were alive in that day and age. And so he had to, by the eternal spirit, present once and for all, for all of us and for all of time, had to present his blood in the real tabernacle. And I think, I think, I, I just imagine, maybe that's why Satan had the tomb sealed. Maybe that's why, because he knew that if he's crucified, it's, not, it's just going to have a minimal effect. But if he ever gets up and gets out and gets into the holy place, then we're going to have an eternal offering before God for all time and eternity. And we're going to be in big trouble. So we need to get guards on that tomb. We need to get that thing sealed as much as we can possibly. We need to make sure he doesn't get up. And I think the, the real miracle of Easter is not just that Jesus got up. That is, that is powerful. But it is that he got up and he went into the holy place. And he took his own blood and placed it there so that even now in 2020, it's still in the holy place Amen. where God is, where the angels are, where the true tabernacle is in the book of Revelation, this thing that comes down from heaven and connects with mankind. That place, it's still there, literally right there. His, his blood is still there and his body is still there because his resurrected body ascended into heaven. And for the first time in all of eternity on the throne of heaven is a human form. And that may not blow your mind, but it sort of blows mine. And it means it's applicable to us. It's available to us. And I think that's why. Anyway, I think that's why. <laughs> The, the, the sacrifice for the common man, God commanded that they then take the sacrifice after it's offered and after the blood is applied, that they take the flesh and they share it with the priests. The priest would eat it. So the lamb must be killed. The blood must be transported. But also the body must be eaten. And I think that's why in the height of Jesus' ministry in the book of John, when he had the most followers he had ever had, he turned around to them and he shared something that sounded bizarre and it scared most of them away. He shrunk his church from a lot to a real little, real quick. He said, he said, surely I tell you the truth, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you do not have life. And they said, that's, that's weird. Just a cult. I'm out. Yes. Tu mas. As no mas. I can't take any more of that. Which is probably why the early church was called cannibals. The Romans thought the early church was cannibals because they were always eating the body of Jesus and drinking his blood. And so I wanted to end this fast today by taking what we call communion. And yeah, if I can have an usher just come places, I can hold this one. But 
the lamb was killed, the blood was delivered, but the body had to be eaten. And Paul says, I think it's in Corinthians, he says, he says, isn't the one who eats from the altar one with the altar? He's talking about communion. He's talking about this idea of eating his blood. Isn't it eating his, his body? If you eat the body of Christ, you become one with Christ. This is, by the way, Paul's greatest, the Bible's greatest uh, reason why sexual immorality is wrong. Because if you've partaken of the body of Christ, you're one with the body of Christ. And then if you're doing things that God said he hates, now you're making the body of Christ do things that God hates. And this is why God especially hates sexual immorality, because it, it takes your body, which is connected with his body. And actually, this is why Paul even says, he says, man, some of you have been eating the body of Christ, but you haven't, your body hasn't been reflecting his body. You haven't been living like him. And because of that, many of you are sick physically. Your body is cursed. Many of you are sick, and some of you are even dying. Communion is not just a remembrance of things which have happened. It is a participation currently in the body of Christ. It is, it is our, now obviously this is not literally the body and that's not literally blood. This is juice and this is bread. And it doesn't become that in your mouth. We don't believe the Bible doesn't teach that. But it is, you ought to take it as if it is the body and as if it is the blood of Christ because that's what it represents. And spiritually, it does something inside of you that connects you with Christ. Which is why, man, before you take it, you better have applied the real blood of Jesus to your life. You better, you better have come to a place where you're willing to say, that, that, that's why you're chewing on his body. You're saying, I killed him. My sins. I did it. He's, he's God's lamb, but he's my lamb. He's the common man's lamb. It's because of me. You're, 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 you're accepting guilt. And, and to accept guilt and judgment is good as long as you also have forgiveness and repentance. It is to renew again the covenant. Jesus said this, this cup of this, of this wine is the cup of the new covenant, the new deal between you and God. But his body is the oneness that we then share with him. And as we eat from his body, God does something in our bodies. And he draws us close to him. And he removes the obstacles in our life. He sets it up and he, and he defeats the devil. And he rebukes demonic powers as we become one with him. And so what I want to do is just as we end today's service, we break the fast, I'd like for us to partake of communion together. And if I can have the worship team just come forward and they'll just worship a little bit. But what I'd like for is uh, just to form a line right over here. Anyone that wants to partake of communion, and, and, and I'm not going to direct you. Yeah, that's good. You can stand up and come over. I'm not, I'm not going to direct you to eat different parts of it. Instead, I'm just going to ask you to line up this way, grab a little bit of juice, a little bit of bread, and walk this way, just like that. And then just take it back to your seat. And I'm not going to direct you when you're seated. I want you to pray on your own. I want you to connect with God. And if you're a part of City Chapel, you can take communion. If you're not a part, you can take communion as long as you're washed in the blood of Jesus. We don't mind. But if you don't feel ready to take communion yet, that's fine too. 
It's totally up to you. This is an act of worship. This is an act of connecting with him, being made one with him. And so I want it to be between you and him. So I'm not going to tell you when to eat it, when to drink it, or anything like that. Just take it back to your seat, pray, connect with God, and drink it and eat it when you feel led. Sound good? Cool.